Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Girlfriend's Guide to Sports podcast. My name is Claire Coles, and this is your weekly update. It's Monday, January 29th. Let's start with what you missed over the last week, then we'll move on to what to watch this upcoming week in the world of sports. All right, we're going to go ahead and get rolling because we have a lot to cover. So much went on over this past week. It was absolutely crazy. Also, as a warning, I will not be doing an episode next this next Monday. So the week after that, February 12th, will be my first Monday back. Just I'm out of town and I will be across the pond in London, England. So there will not be an episode of a weekly update next week. So starting out, we actually have some baseball news because there is a new class of Hall of Famers that have been decided on. Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, and Joe Maurer were the three to reach the 75% voting threshold and thus will be the new inductees. Beltre is a member of the 400 Home Run Club and played third baseman for a number of organizations. He was with the Dodgers from 1998 to 2004, then the Mariners for four years, the Red Sox for one, before ending his career with the Rangers from 2011 to 2018. He was a four-time All-Star, and his number 29 is retired with the Rangers. Tom Helton was with the Rockies for his entire 17-year career, where he held down first base for them. He is a five-time All-Star, three-time Golden Glove Award winner, Gold Glove Award winner, 2000, the year 2000 batting champion, MLB RBI leader in 2000 as well, and his number 17 is also retired by the Rockies. Joe Maurer played for his hometown team of the Twins for his whole career of 14 years. He was a six-time All-Star, All-American League MVP in 2009, five-time Silver Slugger Award winner, three-time American League batting champion, and his number seven is also retired. He is known for striking out only one time during his entire high school baseball career. I have also linked the like Hall of Fame calls where they all got um, told that they were in the Hall of Fame. They're super cute and very touching. So it's, uh, it's pretty amazing to see. And so those three are off the ballot. Also in baseball news, a statue of Jackie Robinson was stolen from McAdams Park in Wichita, Kansas on the 25th. The statue weighed 300 to 400 pounds and was erected in 2021, so the thieves had to do some serious hauling. They did cut it off and only left his cleats left and the, the pedestal that it's on. However, the artist did seven statues of the baseball icon, but has since died, and he died in 2022. Kansas officials are just hoping it won't end up like the Tulsa statue, which was stolen a couple of years ago of a Native American ballerina, and it was stolen and sold for scraps. Moving along to the NBA, this week in the NBA, y'all, it was a crazy week, and it started off with a bang. 76ers star Joel Embiid scored a franchise record and career-high 70 points in their game against the Spurs on Monday. The game was still close despite the domination by Embiid. Wemby put up 33 points. The 76ers only won by 10. The Timberwolves' KAT or AKA Towns, also had a career high on Monday with 62 points. Despite that stellar performance, the Hornets still won, and that is a huge upset. 
Then Suns star Kevin Durant put up 43 points to beat the Bulls. And then Celtics Tatum was also over 35 points with 39 of his own in their win against the Mavs. So it was just a crazy point scoring day on Monday. Tuesday was tame by comparison. The Pelicans got a W over the Jazz, scoring 153 points in regulation, although Zion Williamson hit his head on this nasty alley-oop from one of his teammates. Clippers' Kawhi Leonard got a triple-double in their win over the Lakers, who were LeBron-less. He missed that game due to left ankle pain. He is day-to-day, but he would return on Thursday. The Grizzlies got 17 three-pointers in their win over the Heat on Wednesday. The Trailblazers got a big upset thanks to a strong showing in the third quarter to take Houston to overtime. Then the Rockets would score half of the amount of points that the Portland team would. Good upset for the Trailblazers there. Warriors point guard Kaminga went 11 for 11 from the paint in their game against the Hawks. They took the win by 22 points. This is crazy. We had a week with a 70-point game in Embiid, and then Mavericks point guard Luka Doncic would do one better than Embiid, or at least three by points. He would put up 73 points in their game against the Hawks in Atlanta. He is now tied for fourth all-time in NBA history with that 73-point game. The only people above him are Wilt Chamberlain and Kobe Bryant. Entering the game, Doncic had six straight 30-point games, and he had 41 points by half in this one. Dallas needed all of that as well. They only won by five. So clearly the rest of the team did not do a lot of the work. Then we had an epic battle. LeBron and Steph Curry, they are split 10-10 and in regular season matchups going into Saturday's game. And just like the record, this one was a great close game. The Lakers started well, up five at half. But then the Warriors went on a 24-5 run at the beginning of the third quarter. That quarter was all Warriors outscoring the Lakers by 13 to lead by eight going into the fourth. The Lakers came back by exactly that much to take it into overtime. The first overtime in the Stars series history. So it's the first time we've ever seen that. In, reg- in regular season, at least. There were 22 lead changes in this game, and overtime would be no different. We end that first overtime tied after 12 points apiece. Curry had 46 points in the game, including a 28-foot three-point jumper in the final six seconds of second overtime to go up by one. But then Draymond Green fouls LeBron, who then makes both free throws and the Lakers win by one. This was a instant classic of the LeBron Steph Curry matchup. Then moving on to later in the week, the Suns won seven games in a row before finally falling to the Pacers in a close one. They lost that game by two, but then got destroyed by the Magic the very next game, 113 to 98 last night. That loss was despite Kevin Booker's best efforts, putting up 44 points by himself. So quite a crazy week in the NBA, absolutely. Also, the Bucks have hired a new head coach, and his first game with the team is tonight. Doc Rivers replaced Adrian Griffin, who was fired just 43 games into his tenure. Rivers was previously the head coach for the 76ers, but was dismissed after they lost their third straight second-round playoff loss. 
and they exited playoffs that way. This is Rivers' 25th year coaching in the NBA. On the flip side of that, on Thursday, the Wizards have fired head coach Wes Unsell Jr. after hiring him in 2021, probably because their record so far this season is 7-36. and Brian Keefe has been named interim coach, and they actually won their first game with him, so let's hope he can continue to turn it around. Moving along to NCAA men's basketball, it was obviously I told you guys there wasn't a ton of ranked versus ranked matchups, but there was a lot of ranked games. So number six, Kentucky may be ranked higher, but they didn't look it against South Carolina on Tuesday. No upsets on Monday. The Gamecocks came out swinging and finished even better, beating the Wildcats in both halves. South Carolina won 79 to 62 and now has the better record at 16 and three on the season. Number four, Houston beat their Big 12 mascot rival, number 21, BYU. Good thing they started off well, scoring 41 points as both Cougar teams scored 34 in the second half. So this one wasn't much of an upset, but it was a top 25 loss. Let's stick with a couple of rivals for a couple of games. Texas got the better of number 11, Oklahoma, with a huge upset, beating the Sooners by 15. OU struggled in the second half, only putting up 27 points to Texas's 43. Wednesday, Iron Bowl rivals number eight Auburn and Bama faced off. And just like football, Bama got the last laugh here. Even though the Tigers are ranked in the top 10 at number eight, Bama beat them in a close one by four. Unranked Northwestern took on number 10 Illinois. They took the Fighting Illini into overtime in another close game. Northwestern's Bowie had an impressive 29 points by himself and took them onto the W in overtime by five. Similarly, but in a lower scoring game, Nevada's guard Lucas scored 28 points for their upset over number 24, the Colorado State Rams, by 13. Thursday only had one ranked team in action, and, well, it was an upset and they lost. Number nine, Arizona, went to Corvallis. The Beavs had a comeback in the second half, scoring 47 points. And it was a tied game with just 11 seconds left. Oregon State threw up a three-pointer at the buzzer. And it falls to win and give them the buzzer beater. Oh, y'all, Saturday was busy. Three ranked teams added a second loss to their week. Yikes. Number eight, Auburn added another unranked loss only after only scoring 58 points in the entire game against Mississippi State. The Bulldogs have a losing record in the SEC, but get the better of Auburn here by six. And this pains me. Number 11, Oklahoma lost to another Texas team, but at least this time they were ranked. Number 20, Texas Tech beat the Sooners in a back and forth game. They only win by one. Number 24, Colorado State also lost again, this time to Wyoming and in overtime by three. The Big 12 had another ranked matchup between number seven, Kansas, and 23, Iowa State. The Cyclones had the lead at half, only up by four, but it was enough. Iowa State nailed a three-pointer as the shot clock ran out with 40 seconds left to go up by five. Good thing he did that as KU drilled a three at the buzzer, but wasn't enough, and they still lose. Number 16, Drayton lost to undefeated in conference Richmond by five. And then Sunday was pretty tame with just one upset. Number 19, Memphis and UAB were locked in a good battle, but they were even in an almost 
every stat. So every single stat was almost exactly even across the board between both teams. But UAB had a better second half. They win by nine. This one needed its own bullet. So there was another uh, game in the Big 12 that was pretty epic. So going back to rivals, TCU and number 15 Baylor hate each other, y'all. I am literally from Texas. I can just tell you they hate each other. And this game doesn't help. It was epic. Baylor had the lead at half and the biggest lead of the game at 10 points early in the second half. TCU then had an awesome comeback to tie it up and take it into overtime. I literally couldn't even count how many times the win probability chart changed teams. TCU then starts overtime with a three-point jumper, but we end tied again after scoring 12 points apiece. Again, in second overtime, TCU starts with a jumper, not a three-pointer this time. So, and again, we end up tied. So we go into third overtime. TCU missed a jumper to start overtime this time. So you feel like this time we're going to finally get a result and not end up tied. And you're right. Baylor scored first with two free throws and then a jumper to get out to an early quote-unquote lead. But despite that, TCU came back and we were back and forth again. In the final 10 seconds, Baylor is down by one. Jacoby Walter goes up and makes a basket to take the lead, but he stepped out of bounds. So it is a turnover and that seals it. So unranked TCU gets the upset. Also, a teeny bit of uh, women's basketball news. Number one, South Carolina remains undefeated after taking down number nine, LSU, in a huge game this past week. The Gamecocks were down seven at half and were still trailing at the beginning of the fourth quarter, but they aren't ranked number one for, they are ranked number one for a reason. They outscored LSU by 10 in the final quarter to win by six. Angel Reese was also fouled out of the game with four minutes to go. Now, I do have some NCAA football to go over, some super quick points. The ACC has announced its full 17-team football schedule for the fall. Remember, this includes the additions of Cal, Stanford, and SMU. The teams knew what teams they would play, but not the dates. So let's get into some details. Florida State and Georgia Tech will play in Dublin to start the season. The Knolls will also play Boston College on Labor Day night. That usually does fall as an ACC game. Cal will play SMU on the final night of final weekend of the regular season, and it will be that way every season through 2030. No team has to play the top three ACC teams or what we think will be the top three ACC teams. Most will play two, and no one escapes all three either. So it seems to be a pretty even across the board. The top two teams at the end of the season will play in the ACC championship game as there are no divisions. I'm going to get a little ahead of myself here, but after Jim Harbaugh left to take the Chargers job, which I will get to in the NFL section, that opened up big time coaching job in the Big Ten for the Michigan Wolverines. But Michigan decided to promote from within. Sharon Moore is the new head coach of the Wolverines. It's not a surprise after this season where he was acting head coach when Harbaugh was banned from the sidelines for different violations. All right, let's move on to some NFL news. The Super Bowl has been set. But first, let's go back to the championship weekend results before I flat out just ruin it. The first game was the Chiefs playing on the road at the Ravens. Ironically, the Ravens were favored by a touchdown. 
But that's how much the Chiefs ended up winning by. The Chiefs put up a strong showing in the first half, scoring 17 points to the Ravens' seven. Tight end and, of course, Taylor Swift's boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, ended the game with 11 interceptions or receptions for 116 yards and one touchdown. I think he hit every single player prop you could have possibly bet on him. Lamar Jackson still played well, throwing 272 yards and even caught one of his own passes after it was batted into the air. It could have been better as the Rams had some big time drops and three turnovers in the game, including two in the end zone. They needed those points, but it didn't make things, or at least on the bright side, the Chiefs got zero points off of those turnovers, but obviously that was to their detriment as the Ravens just did not put up a lot of points. So, and it was not the Ravens' day. So the Chiefs didn't need those points off those turnovers, though. Moral of the story of the AFC Championship game is never bet against Mahomes in playoffs, even when he's on the road. And then American's darling team, the Lions, hadn't made the championship game since 1991. It was a dream start for them as well, as it only took four plays to score a touchdown. Then the Niners missed a field goal, and the Lions scored again with the running game just really working for them. They were up, the Lions, were up 24-7 to at half. The last time they were here in 1991, they were down by that same amount of points at half. So it was completely reversed this time. After halftime, though, things started to go downhill for Detroit. The Niners got a field goal. The Lions went for it on fourth and two on the 28 and failed. Then the Niners only needed five plays to score after that. Then it gets worse. The Lions fumbled on literally the next play that they get. That, of course, leads to a touchdown, and suddenly that's a 14-point swing. The second half was all 49ers as they would go on to score on every single offensive possession that they had, except the last one where they waited and for the clock to just run out. The Lions did score a touchdown in the final minute to bring it back to a one-score game and actually a three-point game, but they failed to get the onside kick, and there just wasn't enough time to punt it back to the San Francisco team and let them kind of get a three and out. That was completely off the table, so they had to get the onside kick. It was a great kick. Lions touched it early at about the nine-yard line. It has to go 10 yards. And the San Francisco scored 27 unanswered points, and the Cinderella story comes to an end. We have had some coaching changes in the NFL. The Patriots have hired Jared Mayo. He is the first black head coach for the franchise and currently the youngest head coach in the league at 37. Then the one we all thought was coming, but finally did come to fruition this past week. Michigan head coach, I alluded to it earlier, Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh has taken the head coaching job for the Chargers. Harbaugh leaves his alma mater after three straight wins over Ohio State, their rival, and the first natty since 1997. It's a great story because actually Jim Harbaugh goes from his alma mater success now to the final NFL team that he actually played for as well. He joins his brother in the league. His brother is the head coach for the Baltimore Ravens. 
moving over to the PGA Tour. And we had a Saturday finish for the Farmers Insurance Open, and it brought a first on the PGA Tour. It ended on Saturday to not interfere with the NFL Championship weekend and not compete for viewers. And apparently it works for the French because for the first time ever, a Frenchman claimed the title. Mathieu Pavon made a eight-foot birdie on the 18th to win by one stroke over Nikolai Hogard. He was just Three starts into his PGA Tour rookie season as well. So quite a story there. Moving along to Olympic sports, and it is all Winter Olympics focused. So we've got a lot of winter sport updates, starting with the biggest one of all that broke today. Russian Kamilia Valieva was officially DQ'd from the 2022 Beijing Olympic Games. The CAS, the Court for Arbitration for Sport of Arbitration for Sport, ruled that she was not able to establish that she had taken the drug unintentionally and should be tried as an adult. It was no basically they decided it was no different than an adult athlete taking the drug under similar circumstances. If you're like, wait, this is kind of ringing a bell. Remember Valieva tested positive for a banned heart medication. And it came out in the middle of the competition. So it actually came out in between the team and then the individual. So the team one was fine, went great. Valieva crushed it. It looked like she was going to be the gold medal favorite. And then it came out before her singles, um, the the women's competition. So that would mean when she gets DQ'd, that would mean that Russia would be stripped of the team gold and thus relinquish it to the second place team, which in this case was the Americans. No team medals were actually given out during the games due to this exact issue. Valieva also competed individually, like I said, but was off the podium due to her error-riddled routine. And who could blame her after she was kind of going through all of this? The IOC will officially vote on the medal reallocation in March. So that's why I said it. they will be giving up their medal, not like they have, basically. Sticking with figure skating, it was U.S. Nationals this week for figure skating in the United States. And on the men's side, Ilya Melanin had a such a dominant performance in his short program that even though he didn't complete three and actually fell on one of his planned quads in the free skate, he still won by just short of 30 points. His lead after the short program was the largest in the scores in the scoring system's history for U.S. Nationals. He is known as the quad god for a reason. The women's side was a completely different story. Texas native Amber Glenn trailed the defending champion Isabeau Levito by less than 0.5 points after the short programs. But then Glenn faltered in her second half of her free skate. Apparently that is something that she has been plagued by in previous years. Two big mistakes in the latter half cost her huge points. And she was literally crying after she got off the ice but then the leader fell three different times, handing the title right back to her. So her tears of sadness turned from tears of sadness to tears of joy when she saw the score. Madison Jacques and Evan Bates won their fifth national dance title despite fighting the flu. And then Ellie Cam and Danny O'Shea won the pairs competition. 
Again, like I said, all winter sports. So next one in speed skating, U.S. speed skater Jordan Saltz broke the men's 1,000-meter world record in Salt Lake City on Friday. He broke a Russian record that was set in 2012 by 0.32 seconds. And finally, for skiing, Swiss skier Marco Odemont has now tied Americans Bodie Miller's 33 career World Cup titles after winning the Super G on Sunday. He won his ninth title in the last 16 races, just one day after he failed to make the podium for the first time in 13 races. So he is having quite a season. On the women's side, Laura Gutbarami took the Super G title for the sixth time in Cortina, which is a previous Olympic city in Italy and is a upcoming Olympic city. This is just halfway towards Lindsey Vaughn's record at the exact same course. And like I said, it's a future Olympic course. That will be where the Olympics is held in two years. Barami is right now not giving us any hints if she still plans on competing in two years, though. There were a lot of crashes on the course, including Michaela Schifrin, who seems to have escaped heavy injury, unlike some of the other women on the course. Next weekend's World Cup round in Germany has been canceled due to warm weather. And finally, we got to go over some tennis because the Australian Open has concluded and it was one for the books. On the men's side, the last American Fritz fell to defending champ Djokovic in four sets with the first one going into tiebreakers. Then number three, Russian Medvedev had an epic battle with Poland's Herkacz. Going into five sets with no one taking back-to-back sets, Medvedev did get the last laugh though and advanced. The biggest upset was number six, Germany's Zerev, upsetting number two, Alcarez, which is obviously Carlos Alcarez from Spain. And Carlos only won 15 games in a total of four sets, not his usual repertoire. In the semifinals, that means it was number one, number three, number four, and number six. So not a ton of upsets there. In a huge shock, though, Italy's Yannick Sinner beat Djokovic, ending his 33-match streak, making him 20-1 and in Australian Open finals and semifinals. Not only did Sinner win, he won in convincing fashion, winning 6-1, 6-2, 6-7. That one did go to tiebreakers and 6-3. Sinner had looked great throughout the tournament, spending four less hours on the court so far than Djokovic had, and that was just what paid off. The other semifinal was much closer. Number three, Medvedev versus Zarev went to all five sets with two going into tiebreakers. The two were nearly equal in every stat category. Medvedev fought his way back from down two sets to win the next three straight. Two went into tiebreakers. That is a long match and incredibly difficult to do. Ultimately, those two facts, the fact that Medvedev had to really fight his way back and win three straight, and the fact that Sinner had been really, really fresh and not needed to play a lot of like actual tennis on the tournament, finally took its toll in the final. Medvedev came out swinging, winning the first two sets this time, but then Sinner had an epic comeback. The Italian takes his first Grand Slam title with a score of 3-6-3-6, so not even like close games to start, but then rallied 6-4-6-4-6-3. Oh, and this is the first Australian Open final without any of the big three since 2005, so quite some history there. 
On the women's side, we all knew Coco was in the semifinal as of last podcast episode and blog post. Every other quarterfinal match was decided in straight sets, so no big upsets. The same was actually true for the semifinals. Number 12, China Zhang put away the final unranked player that was Ukraine's Yastramiska in straight sets. Number two, Belarusian Sabalenka took on number four, Coco Goff, in a rematch of the U.S. Open. This time, though, Sabalenka got her revenge. She took the first set in tiebreakers and then finished off Coco's run 6-4, so Coco loses in straight sets. Sabalenka then would easily finish off China's Zhang 6-3, 6-2 in the final to defend her Australian Open title. She comes off a great 2023 year in Grand Slams by making at least every semifinal in every Grand Slam and a final in the U.S. Open and winning the Australian Open. I'd say that momentum is continuing. All right, I know that was a lot. Like I said, there was a lot going on in the sports world. So, But now let's go over what to watch this upcoming week in the world of sports. And just a reminder that I will not be here and doing an episode the next week, so we will skip a lot of that except the Super Bowl. Starting with the NBA, on Tuesday, the Pacers take on the Celtics at 6.30 on TNT. Then the 76ers take on the Warriors at 9. On Wednesday, the Suns take on the Nets, and then the Bucks take on the Trailblazers. And the Nets game is at 7.30 on ABC, while the Trailblazers game is at 9 on ESPN. Thursday, there will be three games on TNT. The Lakers at the Celtics at 6.30. The Cavs at the Grizzlies at 7. The 76ers at the Jazz at 9. Then we go to Saturday, the Lakers at the Knicks at 7.30 on ABC. And the Clippers at the Heat on Sunday at 5. That will be on ESPN. In, in NCAA men's basketball, we've got, again, a lot of ranked teams in action, but not a ton of ranked versus ranked games. Tuesday, number 15, Texas Tech takes on newly ranked number 25, TCU, or I guess you should say re-ranked, at 6 p.m. on ESPN2. Then you got to wait till Saturday for a ranked matchup, but there are four, and they are some blockbuster hits. Number four, Houston takes on number eight, Kansas, at three on ESPN for the top two ranked teams in the Big 12. And the Blue Blood Basketball Showdown, number seven, Duke, at number three, UNC, at 530 on ESPN. You want to talk about two teams that hate each other? Those two hate each other. Number 12, Iowa State then takes on 18, Baylor at 7 on ESPN2. And number 5, Tennessee takes on 10, Kentucky at 7.30 on ESPN. And a huge Big Ten double matchup on Sunday. Number 2, Purdue at number 6, Wisconsin. They will play at noon on CBS. On the women's side, just like last week, we have a lot of ranked versus ranked games. We've actually got eight. Thursday, there will be three back-to-back. Number 21, Syracuse at 16, Louisville at 6 on ACCX. 24, UNC at number 5, NC State at 7 on ACC Network. Number 12, Texas takes on 13, Baylor in a close one at 7.30 on ESPN. Friday, number 15, USC takes on number 4, Stanford at 9 on Pac-12 Network. And then Sunday, we've got four. Number 10, Indiana goes to number eight, Ohio State at 11 a.m. on Fox Sports 1. At the same time in the ACC, number 17, VTech at number 24, UNC on ESPN 2. 
Then in the Big 12, number two, K-State takes on 12 Texas at one on Fox Sports Network. And rounding out the weekend, number seven, UCLA at four, Stanford at three on ESPN2. In the NFL this week on Saturday, we have the Pro Bowl games. This is like, it's a bunch of fun games and kind of like different exhibitions, I guess is the right way to describe it. Kind of like a combine, but for actual football players that are already in the league and a lot more fun. So that will be at 1 p.m. on ABC. And then the all-star flag football game on Sunday, the AFC versus the NFC at 2 on ABC. That it, Those two teams will be coached by the Manning brothers. And then on Sunday next, so not next, not this coming up Sunday, but the next Sunday, it will be Super Bowl 38. And that will be the Chiefs versus the 49ers. You can catch that game at 530 on CBS. That is February 11th. So get ready for some great commercials and some even better football. In the PGA Tour World Thursday, the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am round one will be at two on Golf Channel. Same on Friday for round two. Saturday, then catch round three at noon on Golf Channel. Then it switches over to CBS at two and then back to Golf Channel at six because remember it is on the West Coast. And then on Sunday, same schedule except a little bit earlier on Golf Channel. So final round will go at noon on Golf Channel, then two on CBS and then back to Golf Channel at five. We do have very limited number of hockey games. Only one on Wednesday, the Rangers at the, the Predators at 630 on TNT. That is because we have the all-star game on Saturday. So the semifinal games will be first. Those teams are TBD. They will be at two and three, both on ABC. And then the all-star final game will be at four on ABC as well. In the Olympic sports world, we only have two things to watch this week, both on Friday and both SEC matchups in women's gymnastics. Florida takes on Georgia at 6 on SEC Network, followed by Kentucky at Alabama at 7.30. That wraps it up for me this week. Like I said, I knew there was a lot going on, so sorry for the extra long episode. Just to repeat, I will not be here next week. It's been a long time since I've missed one, so figured I would just keep reminding. Check out the blog, The Girlfriend's Guide to Sports, for more games and times, and I will catch y'all in two weeks after the Super Bowl.